Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Kamak. Hello, theorists. Uh, as is tradition, we're going to be going through our predictions episode. Uh, so in this episode, we're going to be discussing our predictions from All Will Be One, uh, checking them against what actually ended up being the top 10 cards according to EDHREC, and then we're going to be presenting our predictions of what cards from March of the Machine will be the most adopted in EDH, again, according to EDHREC. But before we jump in, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commandertheory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits, including ad-free episodes for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts. All right, jumping in. Let's go over our predictions from what cards from all will be one would see the most play in Commander. Our combined predictions after some deliberation were Elish Norn, Mother of Machines, The Eternal Wanderer, Mondrak, Glory Dominus, Skrelv, Defector Might, White Sun's Twilight, Cankerbloom, Conduit of Worlds, Mere Convert, Sword of Forge and Frontier, and the Mycosynth Gardens. Let's jump to the actual top 10. So, mm-hmm. as of the time of recording, the top 10 most adopted cards on EDHREC from OLB1 were Mondrak Glory Dominus, Cankerbloom, Elish Norn Mother of Machines, the Mycosynth Gardens, Skrelv Defector Might, Conduit of Worlds, Vraska Betrayal's Sting, Skrelv's Hive, White Sun's Twilight, an unnatural restoration. Uh, so you may have noticed some congruence between those two lists. Uh, <laughs> our hit rate was very high this time. Uh, we got seven out of ten uh, for the the most adopted cards on EDH Rec. And if we want to give ourselves like a little bit of leeway, um, it is worth noting that the eleventh most adopted card from All Be One was the Eternal Wanderer. So seven out of ten, or eight out of eleven. I think we did pretty darn well. For, yeah, that's, that's really good. Yeah. Um, and uh, un, maybe a feather in Zach's cap here. Um, before we did our combined list, uh, we had some of these cards that like we didn't end up, that didn't make it to our combined list, uh, showed up on Zach's list. So uh, Vraska Betrayal's Sting, you had that on your top 10. And then Skrelv's Hive was one of your honorable mentions. So mm-hmm. really, really good showing for last time um what do you think was most surprising about the the differences between our predictions and the real list Mm -hmm. okay so no one played the sword (laughs) i think that was one of the things that it seemed like such just an instant slam dunk but um it isn't really it didn't quite make it to the top and i think that goes to speak to like it's not even in the top 25 yeah i think it's it goes to speak about like how because people talk about how magic and standard have changed like they're not like as crazy powerful as they were back in the day like even though they're all about like the same ish power level like roughly you could you could kind of make that argument they're all pretty close but just the things in the format have changed. I've talked before on here about how like protection kind of goofs up your plan, even in equipment decks these days, because 
even your equipment have colors, so that can kind of get in the way of stuff. Uh, on top of like how much you're paying for what effect, and people just aren't playing these cards as as much. Like this is to be fair, it's seeing play. It does it does have a very high number of decks on EDA track. It just didn't crack the top in the set. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. like like there were other cards in the set that people vastly more wanted to play with, which is pretty wild to me. So it, it kind of makes sense. I think it just kind of goes to show what's happening with like the time, you know, what's what, what the times we're living in. A, a couple things were surprising to me. I, I think like the one card that neither of us had anywhere on our lists that still managed to crack the top, the top 10 was unnatural restoration. Uh, that's the, so funny. (laughs) Yeah. That's the regrowth plus proliferate. Um, I I mean like proliferate is a popular theme, but it it just seemed like such a, a boring effect. Like I've put it in my proliferate. We talked about that on the episode and I was like, is this like, enough to make people want to play like a nature's whatever it is the nature spiral or something yeah like, yeah because nature spiral is not a very well played card it in comparatively compared to like how long it's existed and how many decks it's mm-hmm. in um this is vastly overshadows it and it's been out for three months you know yeah i i think it's part of it is like a huge number of the decks being made uh following all be one are like poison decks proliferate decks which certainly makes sense um like you know i i built a proliferate deck and i'm running basically every proliferate card i can get my hands on um but it's not like a it's just not a generically exciting or it's not yeah. a, it's not an exciting card like we've been burned so many times um by like or I've been burned so many times by like <laughs> predicting that like minor unsexy upgrades would do well because those are the kind of things that gets that get me excited. Um, and it seems the community generally doesn't uh, pay attention to them. So it is fascinating to to see that this card is kind of the exception to that rule. Yeah, I mean it. Uh... It, <laughs> I think something about having the combination of like commanders and like themes where proliferate is something people wanted and it being like really like under costing proliferate, right? Like they don't charge you anything for mm-hmm. proliferate on this card with like good commanders people wanted to play something about this like stew that happened here made this card pop off um but i don't know if it's like that's something that i'll be able to necessarily determine in the moment again because it didn't seem like azuri was super popular it didn't seem like any like particular proliferate deck was super popular you know like the top commander from the set is attracts a grain unifier, which is just, you know, kind of all over the place in regards to like deck construction. Mm-hmm. So 
I yeah, I didn't expect it. And and there's only sixteen hundred like Azuri Stalker of Spheres deck, so it's like obviously not all of them are being played in there when a Adventure Restoration is in um what is it? It's in like sixteen thousand. Sixteen thousand, yeah. So we're off by a factor of ten there. So <laughs> there obviously people were like, Oh yes, good for my proliferate decks or good for my decks that do X or Y with counters. And I maybe I don't know, maybe I underestimated how attractive proliferate looks to people. Do you think that's what it is? It could be. Personally, I think that like some of the other proliferate cards, I would have expected to see them above this one. Yes, um, yeah. Like, you know, this is dependent on like having a permanent in your graveyard that you would want to get back. Whereas there's things like experimental augury that it's just like an anticipate, like it's an anticipate is never going to be terrible. Like, whereas you can easily not have targets for your unnatural restoration. Um, so I don't know. It's, I, I don't know if I'm going to change my like model for predicting cards based yeah. off of this. If this happens again, if this happens in like another set, then maybe I'll know something is up. But this seems like a a one-time thing where people were like, oh yeah, I really want some of that. And I was like, that, oh, the, the normal ham on white sandwich? The <laughs> Okay, I thought you were going to go for the like, you know, pesto turkey, something a little bit more, more pizzazzy, well, you know, but all right. L- let me check one thing. Uh, I'm wondering if this was in the... Um, the poison precon deck. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll do a lot because <laughs> that that certainly would bump things up. That precon effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in the precon. Okay, so that might be what we could pull out of this. Is like general. I mean, it's a like we would sort of have to predict that the themes of the set would be popular. And this is like a very low cost in terms of like they're not charging you much. Um, so low cost way to enhance those themes. Yeah. And it's in a pre-con. I think the maybe that's like the confluence of things that bump this into 10th place. Yeah. That, yeah. Just now I have to look at all the... Precon deck list. <laughs> uh, man, that might be too much work when there's five precons, but yeah, exactly. two. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe I'll look through. I don't know. Probably not for this episode. It'll be next episode. <laughs> okay. Um, um, I'll say that I was also surprised that Sword of Forge and Frontier didn't make it, but I think like Swords have definitely been losing a lot of cachet over the years, and despite the fact that this is a good one, you know. It's still $16, and I think most people just kind of decided, eh, it's not worth the price tag. It's not going to do enough. Yeah, I do actually probably think that's what it is. Like The combination of like the times we're living in um, with the price tag, because the price tag pretty much was immediately in the 20s, like from mm-hmm. pre-release prices to now, it didn't really drop too much. So kind of sad you know i didn't open yeah. one I, i'm not playing it because of that <laughs> the reason i was like i'm not gonna spend 20 bucks on this right now 
I, I did open one and I still haven't put it in any, in any of my decks. Oh, that's funny. Um, take of that what you will. <laughs> well, uh, any other cards you want to talk about? I mean, I feel like some of them just, I, I remember when we agreed on Kinker Bloom, um, I was like, that makes sense. You know, might as well put it on there. And then that one vastly overperformed. So that mm. I think you got that one real, real good. Um, I, I, one thing that was kind of surprising at one. So like I was sort of, um, I started preparing these notes last week and mere convert was at one point in 12th place. It's it's since, um, sunk down a little bit. I think it's in, yeah. Uh, it's in like 16th place now, but, um, like I think we were kind of pretty close on that one. I know that that one's, that was kind of like a big swing for us. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but it wasn't that crazy. And I think part of the reason that part of the thing that like pushed it over the edge for me was the fact that it was in a pre-con. So maybe it's just like we sort of picked the wrong, wrong we had the right card. rationale, but like, yeah, the wrong pre-con card. That's true. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't have too much more to say about our one predictions. I'm ready to move on to March of the Machine. Yeah, let's do it. So um, I do want to say that like, I've noticed that when we get a lot of these predictions right, it's usually a set that we like have honed in on like what the set is trying to do. Like maybe the set was for us and like Brothers War for me. Like I was like, this set is all about stuff I want to do. So like, these are definitely things that I think are going to do it. This set in particular, like, mm, I don't, I don't know who it's for. It's, it's cool. <laughs> it's not for me. So I'm having a rough go of this. Uh, how are you feeling about your predictions? So I am also not confident. I think we were pretty confident when we were doing the all will be one predictions. Yeah. And let's see where um, we're at at the end of this. Cause we talked each other into some stuff. Yeah. I, th- I think that um, with March of the machine, there's not a ton of just like generically super powerful cards. Um, and I think like in a set with a lot of those, it's kind of easy to figure out, oh, these are like the the high points of power. These are, you know, it, it makes it easy. But a lot of the cards on my list are just things that are useful in a specific archetype. And so that's why I'm way less confident. If I see, you know, like if, if you look at our, our all be one predictions, it's like, well, Kanker Bloom is just like an efficient rate for both proliferating and destroying artifacts enchantments. like. You know, White Sun's Twilight is just a good wrath that has some some benefits in a couple other places. Like Scrawl Defector Might is just like a mother of runes, and everyone plays that frequently. So, like a lot of the cards in All Be One, just you know, they they didn't have they weren't very narrow, and I I think that there's a lot of powerful but narrow cards in March of the Machines. Or March of the Machine, uh, singular. Um, I always forget that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've I've heard like Wizards employees mess up on this, so maybe not the greatest name. <laughs> if nobody can get it right. Um, another thing that stuck out to me about this set is like because we're introducing a new card type, um, that really throws a wrench into things because it's difficult for most people to evaluate this new card type, and and there aren't like really any commanders out there that 
reward you for running a ton of them. Like, yeah, you probably want a couple of them in your Atraxa Grand Unifier deck. But it's not like, you know, there's a ton of artifact commanders. There's a ton of instant and sorcery commanders. There's a ton of creature commanders, ton of lands commanders. So there's so many decks out there that like uh, kind of lower the bar to entry for a new card if it falls into like their preferred category. But there's nothing like that for battles. So the it has to it's going to be like more challenging for them to break in the format because they don't have like easy mode unlocked you know what i'm saying yeah absolutely just there's a lot of cards like i i really do like the set and i like the design philosophies of like a lot of the commanders even if not all of them were hits like a lot of them were pretty good if you remember you know a week two ago (laughs) whenever our predictions or our spoiler set came out or spoiler episode um like they're all pr- doing some pretty interesting things, but because of that, like, it's not like, oh, these cards go into this kind of deck very cleanly. It's like, oh, okay, you have a card that cares about transforming. Oh, you have a card that does stuff when you cast instants and sorceries, but it's not just like copy them or something. It's like very particular stuff you know very particular things oh and i just actually had a thought that we'll talk about when we get to our predictions so do you want to get going on uh on yours do you want to just kind of jump in i I just went in wooberg order i think you did the same yes um let's you know what let's really quickly just get the cards out of the way that we both um oh sure agree on um because there is a fair bit of overlap between our lists so some yeah we can we can just yeah. really quickly get these okay so both of us have fairy mastermind on our lists this is the one in a blue uh two one flying flash whenever an opponent cat uh, draws their second card each turn you draw a card and then it has three in a blue each player draws a card um that one we both have it on our lists i have seen it in action once so far and it it like you know allowed its controller to hold up counter magic and then the end of somebody's turn they drop it in um actually actually no they drew it, dropped it in in response to something and immediately drew a card and then i think they do another card later so it's just like you don't get crazy amounts of value off of it but you will draw some amount of cards for very little mana um the flash is super nice uh, it, it's just like a solid card, and I I think it's easy to run in most decks when you're trying to fill out. Oh, I probably need a little more card draw on this list, that kind of thing. Um, so that's on both of our lists. I don't know if you have anything else you want to say about that one. No, I mean it's just kind of a slam dunk. It's being it, it is. Uh, we were like it's going to be played in every format, and uh, then it promptly became played in every format. <laughs> it won. Um, pioneer something or other it won like something in a a modern at a store so there's yeah it's just being played everywhere it's a good card Uh, you're gonna want to play it people are playing it so yeah but i think uh we can move on to to uh black cards if you want i think we agreed on a bunch of black cards together uh yeah so we both had corrupted conviction on our list um 
this is the it's just village rights but with another name so single black mana for an instant as initial cost to cast it sacrifice a creature draw two cards um village rights is in 128,000 decks on edh rec and every time a new one of these gets printed like for the most part it sees pretty good adoption and this one is like like village right is still kind of the gold standard um so i think that like more copies of the best version of this effect is are still going to see good adoption yeah no i'm pretty like i'm actually amazed at how many copies of these cards see play <laughs> like <laughs> it's like hundreds of thousands and so i was thinking cuz i don't typically play these cards very often i have been playing um deadly dispute or whatever the the two mana you get a treasure but you can sack artifacts too mm-hmm. um maybe that's just cuz i play more decks where i have artifacts to sack too and it's kind of like ramp in some decks and I I ended up liking that one a lot, so I just figured that had overtaken it. But when I looked uh, specifically when we were doing our episode, um, like looking at the set, I was kind of amazed at how many people are not just playing Deadly Dispute, but playing Village Rights. And I'm assuming we'll end up playing this too because um, it is totally true. Like holding up one black mana is way easier to do and better than holding up two for the next best thing, like an, I don't know, Alter's Reap or something like that, you know? Yeah. Like, so, um, because Alter's Reap doesn't say any play at all, you know, stuff like that don't tend to draw big numbers, but this one, I'm confident. So, um, yeah. What's what's that? We had, uh, we actually had, I think, seven cards in common. So, <laughs> the, <laughs> the next one is uh, Hoarding Broodlord. So Hoarding Broodlord is an 8-mana. It's the 8-mana 7-6 Flying Convoke Dragon. So it costs 5, black, black, black. It has Convoke. When it enters the battlefield, you search your library for a card, exile it face down, then you can shuffle your library. Uh, And then as long as the card is exiled, you can cast it. And then it just has the static ability. Spells you cast from exile have Convoke. So you can... Not just the one you get, but any of them. Uh, So, you know, Tutor... That's a dragon. This seems pretty good to me. <laughs> yeah, the I, I will like bring up one um, concern I had about it when we were doing the set review, which is that um, it doesn't play super nicely with the commanders that allow you to cheat things into play. In the sense that, like, yes, you can cheat it into play with your Kalia of the Vast, um, but the thing that gets exiled cannot itself be cheated into play. So. Something to keep in mind. This is, I think, one of the ones I'm less confident about. But yeah, I still have it on my list and uh, don't know if I've got better options. Anyway, um, (laughs) do you want to move on to the next card we have in common? Yes, so that is Corrupted. Oh, wait. No, yeah, we did Corrupted Conviction. Sorry. Um, (laughs) You've heard this. It is City on Fire. So City on Fire is a red card. It's an eight mana enchantment. It costs five red, red, red. But wait, it also has Convoke. So you can tab your creatures to help cast that 8. And it says, if a source you control would deal damage to a permanent or player, it deals triple that damage instead. Um, so, boom, another uh, 
fiery emancipation for all you out there who were loving that. That was me. I was loving that. Um, this is that, I don't know. It's definitely a slam dunk. Uh, I like the tension in limited of like tapping your creatures to get this down is fun, but like, that's really not that difficult to do. You always have like a floater, <laughs> like some floaters hanging around. So you're like, all right, I'll tap my like two one ones cast this at the same spot. I would fire emancipation. And then my like three power guys are hitting you for nine. So, uh, sorry. Goodbye. Uh, it's pretty, I mean, I, I really can't see a world in which this isn't being heavily played. So I don't know how you feel about it. Um, I think it's, narrower than it looks because i think you you do really have to have some you do creatures have to it. yeah yeah um but I, I think that like in terms of i think it's mo- one of the more exciting red cards like for other people it's not the kind of card that like really gets my engine going but um it sure is the like fire and emancipation is the kind of card that leads to big stories and big numbers and and is exciting for people so i I can see this one being adopted for that reason yeah absolutely which i think gets us to the next card on the list shared oh yeah Uh, we have a, a string of green cards um let me read this one off so this is one of the ones i'm most confident about because it okay. just l- looks like such a good card like if any battle is going to like see heavy adoption it's got to be this one mm-hmm. um, so this is x green green for a battle siege it's invasion of Ikoria. it's got six defense and when it enters the battlefield search your library and or graveyard for a non-human creature card with mana value x or less and put it onto the battlefield if you search your, if you search your library this way shuffle and then the back half is Zilortha, Apex of Ikoria. It's an 8-8 legendary creature dinosaur with reach. For each, for each non-human creature you control, you may have that creature assign its combat damage as though it weren't blocked. So really, it's all about the front half here. Um, this just seems like a great way to grab like a Crater Hoof Behemoth or, or something else. Like There's plenty of useful non-human creatures. It's certainly not a finale of devastation it's not as good as that um but i would say it's certainly better than a green sun zenith not as good as a court of calling but it's among the top options for green creature tutors i think um and if you're going for a critical mass this is certainly going to make its way into your deck yeah this one uh, I really don't have much more to add. I think it is just as good as it looks. Um, actually, don't even think you need to flip it most of the time to get value. I think one of the problems oh, with yeah. some of the battles is that if you can't flip it, then you're just missing out on half or more of the value that you're paying for. But with Invasion of Agoria, you're you're just happy. You're just like, all right, I would pay this anyway. <laughs> Um, so, all right. If you do flip it, like it's fun to see a Zalortha. That's, that's cool. They really made that dinosaur really big, <laughs> man. Why? That's huge, but you don't need to. That's basically what I'm trying to say here. Um, cause some of these, 
you do want to flip, but I think the ones that I'm going to talk about today are all ones where like, I don't actually necessarily care if you flip them. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. So yeah, Invasion of Akoria, we had some more. So the next one would be Kami of Whispered Hopes. Um, so this is the three mana, one, one spirit. It's two and a green. It says, if one or more plus one plus one counters would be put on a permanent you control, that many plus one plus one counters are put on that permanent instead. Oh, sorry, that many plus one plus one plus one counters are put on that permanent instead. That gets me every time. Um, <laughs> so it's it's a hardened scales on a one one mana dork because it has tap, add X mana of any one color where X is Kami of Whispered Hope's power. Uh, so it's not just any mana dork, it's an insane mana dork. <laughs> you're, you're everything that buffs it, gives you more mana, putting plus one plus one counters on it. Oh, just kidding. You put two plus one plus one counters on it and taps for three. What? What? That's wild. crazy. That's crazy. So this thing, wild, this is going to be played in a ton of decks. I'm already putting it in a decks. It's this. there's no way this goes without seeing play. Yeah, um, I, I'm definitely with you on there. Like, not only is it just this useful hardened scales effect, but if you are in a deck that's putting plus plus one counters on things, it also is just providing enormous amounts of mana really quickly. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty high on that card. It it certainly is like more narrow than the cards I would prefer to put on my list, but um, just because it's ni- like just because it's narrow doesn't necessarily mean it won't be highly adopted. We saw that with some of the like toxic and proliferate related cards in all will be one. So I'm going to make the assumption that plus and plus one counter builds will like be something that people are excited about, especially given that we have a new precon that focuses on that area. But speaking of plus plus one counter builds, uh, the next card is is extremely similar. It uh, goes into basically the same decks. So we're talking about Ozolith, the Shattered Spire. This is one to green for a legendary artifact. If one or more plus one plus one counters would be put on an artifact or creature you control, that many plus one plus one plus one counters are put on it instead. Uh, and then it has one green tap, put a plus one plus one counter on target artifact or creature you control, activate only as a sorcery, and it has cycling too. So uh, it's going to go in the same decks as the Kami. Uh, this card's going to be... Mm, it's it's certainly useful. It's less fragile. doesn't add mana, but it is itself a source of counters. You can always cycle it away if it's bad. It's slightly more expensive because it is a rare, um, whereas the Kami is only an uncommon. Um, but I, I think that, like, it... If you accept the premise that plus and plus one counter builds are going to be popular, uh, then there's then if you're going to put Kami on your list, you should put Ozolith as well. I think it just makes sense. Yeah, like I talked about in like one of the episodes recently, how people are just easily distracted and they kind of go for whatever the newness is. But one of the problems with plus one plus one counters is they put them in every set, and there's usually a commander that deals with them, so they're never not a thing people are paying attention to. <laughs> so that's another reason that I think these cards are uh probably probably worth considering for the list. So yeah, those are our 
combined. We didn't need to to argue. <laughs> we both agreed these ones are the the ones to go. Um. So now we got three slots basically. To, and this is where it gets difficult. Yeah. Yeah. This is where it gets really difficult. So we have three slots with which to fill up our top or our our ten predictions. So. What were the cards that we didn't talk about off of your list? So uh, one card on my list is Phyrexian Sensor. Um, so this is two and a white for a 3-3 three, three creature Phyrexian Wizard. Each player can't cast more than one non-Phyrexian spell each turn, and non-Phyrexian creatures enter the battlefield tapped. So hate bears are surprisingly popular. Like I am not crazy about bears um just i mean they're often powerful but it's not something i often put in my decks but uh there are a lot of cards that look really similar to this one and see a ton of play so like eidolon of rhetoric uh is two and a white for a one four enchantment creature um and it says each player can't cast more than one spell each turn so that's in forty-two thousand decks on edh rec phyrexian sensor doesn't have like enchantment synergies but it does it is like less fragile because it's one fewer card type um and it has like a way to break the symmetry like if you are building a phyrexian deck or a deck full of phyrexians then you can get you can just kind of like play a lot more normally whereas your opponents are kind of hamstrung and then it does have this like non-phyrexian creatures enter the battlefield tapped which is certainly not nothing um especially if you're trying to do like a more aggressive build. So uh, I, I think this is like, it, it's also worth noting that this is an uncommon, which may help its ability to get adopted. Like these are not expensive cards by any means. Um, so that's kind of my rationale for including that one. Not a card I'm excited about, but I think there are people who like what this card is doing. Yeah, no, I I totally see that. I was considering that too, so I I don't I'm not super far off from your thought process there, because I was looking and you know last set we had a lot of white cards on the list, but we really like talked ourselves into it. We were like, okay, these are really strong and everything, and I usually try to start by like looking at like what from card from each color will probably make it, and sometimes they don't make it, and sometimes they do. And for me, like white. I do have a white card on my list I'll talk about, but uh, this was one of the ones where I'm like, uh, will it? But I think the fact that it's a 3-3 three, three for 3 instead of a 2-2 two, two for 2 actually like helps it um, because it'll survive more things. It uh, Maybe people get less, less upset about it because it costs 3. I'm not sure. But yeah, I totally, all the reasons that you're saying, I agree with you on. So I'm not super far off from your your rationale on this one do you want me to do mine or do you want to do you want to finish yeah yeah go ahead and give me one of your cards you had listed that i did not yeah so mine uh was i talked about it and i I really talked myself up when we were recording (laughs) for the set was dusk legion duelist so dusk legion duelist is the two two vampire soldier with vigilance for two one in a white um and says whenever one or more plus one plus one counters are put on dusk legion duelist draw a card this ability triggers only once each turn. Um, so I really talked myself up on this one. Like it's two mana. It can basically draw you uh, at bare minimum. It's a howling mine if for yourself. And 
it's often can be much, much more than that. Um, so I'm pretty high on this, which is why I'm hesitant to put it in the, uh, the top cards. I've really seen like very little chatter about this card online, mm-hmm. which is usually a bad sign. Um, because even if we're high on a card, like, um, what is it? The core, uh, core apparition. What's the, Oh, Skyclave apparition. Skyclave apparition. Yeah. Like both of us were really high on that and then really high on it for a really long time. And it took like a year <laughs> before for people to catch up. Yeah. Yeah. People were like, so I'm wondering if maybe <laughs> this is one of those where like, yeah, uh, you and me listener, like we know this card's probably going to be good, but, it's going to take people a while to figure out what's going on because there's just so much stuff in the set. Um, so I'm kind of talking myself down on this card right now, which is probably fine. Um, but let's get to another one of your cards. What's another card we did not talk about? Sure. Another card we have, um, this is Ren's Resolve. So this is one and a red for a sorcery. Exile the top two cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You may play those cards. So it's it looks exactly like a Reckless Impulse, um, just with a different name. Uh, so Reckless Impulse is, and actually, you know, I, let me verify the current numbers. Um, Reckless Impulse is currently in 20,000 decks on EDH Rec. So it's a respectable number. I think it's proven itself to be just like a good card in like proactive sort of combo we builds. Um, and Ren's Resolve is just another copy of a good card. Um, it's certainly good in like popular commanders like Prosper Tomebound. Um, Prosper, and, and that carries a lot of weight. Like Prosper is the ninth most popular commander on EDH rec with 13,000 decks. So like, you know, if half of them adopt this card, that's a huge boost to its, its playability. Like I certainly immediately like grabbed a copy threw it in prosper. If, you know, a significant number of other prosper players do it, then that's, that's all this card needs to really be and in, break into the top 10, I think. No, I'm right there with you. I mean, this is one of the cards I was really excited about and I was, mm, I felt like a veggies card, but I think you're right. I think it's just like, so obviously good in the decks that want it. Like I've been playing reckless impulse and I've been like loving that card. Like mm-hmm. two is basically exactly what I want for basically draw two <laughs> in red. A lot of the time, um, pretty much always hit your lane drops with it. You get to cast spells uh, that interact with whatever your commander is doing, whether that's prosper or something else. So yeah, I'm, I'm super into that card. Um, I have some honorable mentions that are red that I don't think make the list, but uh, I really liked a lot of the red cards this set. This is one of them for sure. Um, I, yeah. I agree with you. I also liked a lot of the red cards in this set. I just think that like, most of them are the cards that are exciting for me and not yeah. exciting for other people. Cause there's a ton of like smooth out your draws type of cards. Cause we've got mm. like invasion of Mercadia. We got into the fire. Um, we got Ren's resolve. We got invasion of Kaldheim. 
in the, in the pre-con, we got Path of the Pyromancer. Just a lot of like, I'm going to make my deck very slightly and subtly like more consistent. Mm-hmm. And I think the average red player is more like, whoa, city on fire, triple yeah. damage. <laughs> um, Yeah, so I I agree with you. There's if the world was full of Nick Beatman's, then there's a there would be a lot more red cards on this list. I'll say that. Yeah, yeah. The other red card that I do want to say here that I was thinking of that isn't on my list is Ral's reinforcements, just because Dragon Fodder is in like so many lists. But I'm also not sure if Dragon Fodder is um like bolstered by the fact that they're goblin tokens. I think you'd want to check. Um, it does like, seem like it? that forbidden is the case. Friendship, you can. What, what's forbidden yeah. friendships adoption? Because they ain't goblins. Yeah, so only thirty five hundred decks. Yeah. Okay. So the goblin is pulling a lot of weight there. <laughs> Seems like it. Yeah. Okay. Um. All right. Well, that puts my mind at ease. So, so give me another card on your list that did not show up on mine. Yeah. So uh, I had another battle. Uh, and it goes kind of in the same. Uh... Oh, did I have another battle? Yes, oh, you yes, did. yes, I did. Um, so the other battle that I had was called Invasion of Fiora. So this is four black, black, so six mana for a four defense battle uh, that says when Invasion of Fiora enters the battlefield, choose one or both, destroy all legendary creatures or destroy all non-legendary creatures. Uh, And then it flips into, if you can defeat the battle, Marchessa Resolute Monarch, which is a 3-6 menace death touch. Uh, Whenever Marchessa Resolute Monarch attacks, remove all counters from up to one target permanent. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if you haven't been dealt combat damage uh, since your last turn, you draw a card and you lose life. So... Uh, one-sided wrath this is one of the better one-sided wraths we've gotten in black we've been getting a decent number of like six mana blow stuff ups in black which i'm like thankful for i think black should get these more often than not um this one in particular is like if i don't get to flip it i don't care too much um and it can be like a really savage like one-sided wrath if you yeah i i love the optionality on this the fact that you can do like non-legendaries or legendaries or both like Mm -hmm. it's it's always going to you know to work out pretty well for you yeah like if you're building your deck around your commander maybe you know you miss a commander or something but you kill all the sapperlings and mana dorks and whatever and then if you don't have your commander down and mr voltron is going off over like in the player c corner of the table like all of a sudden boom they uh got to deal with this and if you ever do flip it it which the backside is very good but like i don't even necessarily care if i flip it it might be something that if I, it's easy to do i would but um yeah this just all around seemed like a pretty good card it seemed like a card that people might want to play with and it's an etb trigger <laughs> which is pretty wild so if you flicker it or if you have some way to flicker it in uh black uh, perhaps black white something like that um which cares about legends and stuff more and more these days uh then this seemed pretty good to me so not something i did see chatter about it um that's not my only like probe that i'm using 
Uh, I was looking at other black wraths just that we've gotten over the last few years, and it's all like white wraths at this point. They're all kind of like coming out in the wash. So this is a card that, because it's a battle, I could see people playing if they wanted to play with battles. Um, and that's kind of why it made my list. Like very, very good wrath, new card type. People are excited about. Um, so that was kind of my rationale. It's kind of hard to. It's not quite like anything else we've seen, but usually selective wraths are pretty popular cards in general. So that was my thought process about this one. Yeah, this is a card that I like, but I'm just skeptical that we're going to see a lot of adoption elsewhere. Like six mana, if you just want the bread and butter effect, six mana is a lot. Um the optionality is nice, and maybe that'll change how people evaluate this card. You know, it like an easy point of comparison might be, or an okay point of comparison might be something like an austere command or something where you can potentially like leave your guys alone if you build your deck a certain way. Yeah, I was thinking um, like Crux of Fate too. You know, like yeah. that one costs five, but um, it plays. It is. Does he play in like actually more than I just looked it up? It's way more than I thought it was. It's forty three thousand decks, almost forty four thousand decks. Yeah, um, I, I I really wish we a bunch of precons. <laughs> yeah, I, I really wish we could see more um more like five mana black wraths. Like I'm okay with white as the king of four mana wraths. Black could get some five mana wraths occasionally. Like I do love Crux of Fate for that reason. Yeah. Um, but. Man, these six mana wraths—they just do not see huge amounts of play. Um, no, they're just too slow. They're like just just too slow. It's sad. <laughs> yeah. So this is a card I want to like. I I would love to build around it if it could be my commander. I I would probably try to build the deck as mono black control. Um, but I don't know if it's you know tingling. As, as other people as much as it is me no yeah um, i think this this got me lower on it you've convinced me down on a bunch of my picks for this set so what's uh what's another one of yours that uh i think this is your last one right yes um this is tribute to the world tree so this is green 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 for an enchantment uh whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control if its power is three or greater draw a card otherwise put two plus one plus one counters on it um so Easiest point of comparison is Elemental Bond. That's an enchantment for two and a green. Whenever a creature with power three or greater enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card. Um, that's in 74,000 decks on EDH Rec. So Tribute to the World Tree uh, is more difficult to cast with the, the triple green mana cost, but it does the same thing plus a little extra. Like It'll make your mana dork slightly better. Um, it has utility in like a plus one plus one counter build i i think it's a solid card provided you can get around that terrible mana cost um <laughs> yeah. what are your thoughts on it um i'm gonna look up let me look up some things so like circle of dreams druid that that one picked up a whole bunch of adoption right yes fifty four thousand. Yeah, Lanoir um, Tribe is another good mm-hmm. example. I, of I run Lanoir Tribe all the time. So same, totally get that. Um, 
Yeah, okay. No, I'm down. I uh, I think the triple green was scaring me, but I just convinced myself not to be scared. Uh, this seems like kind of a... Because I'm going to play this in decks. That probably should be my signifier. <laughs> if if I'm going to play it in decks, there's probably other people who are going to do that too. So mm-hmm. maybe I shouldn't have been as afraid of the triple green on it. Um, Yeah, no, it, it is just an effect that is pretty wild. I... No, so, uh, man, one of the things I'm learning as I've built more of them of, like, kind of building meme decks, so, like, Kibo being one of them, is that, like, people, you don't see a lot of, like, super good discourse about it (laughs) online. There's a lot of people just having fun, which is kind of the point, but also, like, there's a lot of people that I was seeing wanted to play Tribute to the World Tree in that deck specifically to get the first two plus one plus one counters and i was like oh that's goof man <laughs> that's mm. <laughs> come on guys so that's I, maybe that's what soured me on this i was like reading these threads and i was like hmm. okay <laughs> <laughs> so i think i've come around to it i think you've convinced me um what was my last card? Oh, okay. <laughs> i know why i was confused my last card was like not really a card i was Thinking about the Praetors, I think I settled on Shieldred. Basically, they're all insanely powerful. We talked about this in in the set review or the Legends review. Every single Praetor, even Vorinclex, just wild. Just a crazy amount of value for, for one card. Too many words on each of them. Uh, Jinkataxis is basically kill on sight. Like, you pretty much have to or you lose. Um, mm. Elish Norn can just kill someone outright you know like just wild stuff so i was trying to be it it really seemed irresponsible to not find one that would go into decks but the problem is they're also like very narrow with the exception being vorinclex who's like overly broad you know seven plus one plus one counter you know like whatever dude um so i think i settled on shieldred because shieldred does what mono black does uh well let me read off this like textbook of a card real quick so shieldred is a five mana four five phyrexian praetor for three black black she has menace she has when shieldred enters the battlefield each opponent sacrifices a non-token creature or planeswalker and then four and a black exile shieldred then return it to the battlefield transformed under its owner's control Activate only as a sorcery and only if an opponent has eight or more cards in their graveyard. Uh, the backside is the true scriptures. So it is a three chapter saga. Chapter one for each opponent, destroy up to one target creature or planeswalker that player controls. Chapter two, each opponent discards three cards, then mills three cards. Chapter three, put all creature cards from all graveyards on the battlefield under your control. Exile the true scriptures, then return it to the battlefield face up. So you get Shieldred again, and when she enters the battlefield again, they have to sack another Planeswalker creature. So basically a ton of death and destruction, exactly what you want in black decks. And this just seemed like something that a lot of black decks would want. It's not very difficult to get eight cards into your opponent's graveyards if you're trying even just like a little bit. Um, Sacrificing a bunch of creatures makes it pretty easy. Um, So this is... This was going to be my 10th card. I settled on this one. Um, How do you feel about it? It seems splashy. It seems fun. It seems 
uh, fun for you, I guess. Um, I think that like of the Praetors, this is certainly the one, or of the like, you know, flip Praetors, this is certainly the one that is the easiest to fit into just a random deck. Yeah, like existing um, archetypes. Yeah. So I'm I'm pretty high on it in that respect. I could be convinced. I'm certainly not um, incredibly confident about all of my picks. Um, I could be convinced to include this in the top 10. I, I like this card a lot. I know. I like this card. I have not yet gotten one. All of them are like just nuts expensive and it kind of makes sense. So I just have not, I've not played a lot of the set because I've been too busy. So uh, at some point I will. And at some point I do want one of these cards. I do want a shielded for some decks of mine. So um, that was kind of what I was thinking too. It's like, okay, this is really powerful. This goes into existing archetypes. Uh, it's splashy. People are going to want it. It's a character that people like. All of them are characters that people like, but this one in particular seemed to have the broadest appeal. So, um, yeah, that's it. Yeah. So let's let's figure out what's we've made our pitches for these remaining cards. Let's figure out how we're going to round out this top ten. So, um, so can I want to say something real quick? I, I, you've convinced me of two of yours off the top, off off okay. the bat right here. So the ones that you've convinced me of are tribute to the world tree. Mm-hmm. and phyrexian sensor those are two that i'm super down super easy to me just to to throw down on you know throw my, okay. my hat in the ring for uh let me see the price for shieldred okay it's like 16 17 um that would be honestly the main concern if shieldred was a dollar i would oh yeah <laughs> for sure throw it in um Okay, let's let's put down the two we agree on, and so my last one is Ren's Resolve. I don't know if I trust Prosper players to like update their decks. Freaking, <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at too. <laughs> Man, this is such a hard set. Let me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we can look through like we did this with uh, we got White Sun Zenith at the the last minute, you know. So if there's a, something else. Mm-hmm. I'm going to very briefly review our set review and just see if there's anything else that could possibly make it onto this list. <laughs> For me, I was kind of stuck on like a bunch of the cards that I really liked. So a lot of those were spell-based cards. I really like like Complete the Circuit. I really liked uh, the new Chandra. I really liked uh, Into the Fire. And then in particular, I really liked Invasion of Kaldheim. Um, but again, like we were talking about, these are all cards that I like that don't seem to be getting super high adoption, you know, uh, like maybe if people in a, in a better world invasion of called time would see more play. Um, the Chandra I, I doesn't do seem like to be invasion of, of called I, I threw it into a deck on, um, on in historic brawl mm-hmm. and like flipping it, uh, I I still lost the game, but man, it made it really close when it otherwise would have been uh, just a blowout. Yeah, it seems like yeah, it seems net. So invasion of Kaldheim is the four mana for defense siege. It's three and a red. Uh, when invasion of Kaldheim enters the battlefield, you exile all cards from your hand, then draw that many cards, and until the end of your next turn, you make play the cards exiled this way, and then it flips into an enchantment, the Pyre of the World Tree, which says discard a land. Uh, Power of the World Tree deals two damage to any target, and whenever you discard a land, exile the top card of your library, you may play that card this turn. So, 
not only are you shocking things, not only are you seismic assaulting things, you're getting cards for the treble. Um, just this is everything about this card I'm super into. Um, but it doesn't necessarily seem like the world is super into it, you know? So that's kind of what I was thinking about. Like you said, there's a ton of red cards in the set that in a different environment, in a different place, maybe I would, I would say, but I was, the other one I was thinking of was Atali Primal Conqueror. Um, okay. That is to, not even for the backside, just for the front side. Um, mm. Because there's just, value. yeah, there's a ton of hype about that card. It's a dinosaur. Um, it goes into exile decks. People liked the first Atali, and this is, I would say, better in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I certainly agree with that. That was something that I was looking at. Um, I don't know if you were looking at any other cards or anything you were thinking about. After like flipping through the set review, what do you think about maybe an off the wall one, but like. What do you think of Invasion of Segovia? Um, oh, I like Invasion of Segovia. So it's uh, it's certainly like a weirder one. It's it's not an effect that we've seen a ton of, um, but it is very powerful. It got a little bit of attention when like Saffron Olive like featured it in a deck. Because um, yeah, it is strong when it's working, when it's doing its thing. Yeah, I've gotten a chance to flip it a couple times just playing with it in um on arena and it's really sweet to just like you know hold counter spells up but with your creatures or like hold instant speed removal up with your creatures um it's it's very good it's quite good (laughs) (laughs) yeah maybe that's one Uh, of the sleeper hits yeah um I, i think that like if your deck has instance, this is just a fantastic card, but it's not, I don't think it's like a place people's brains are necessarily going to when they're upgrading their deck. And have you seen like much buzz about it aside from like the, the Saffron Olive? Uh, No, I've only seen people talk about this in the context of like competitive formats, which I do agree. It's like, that's really exciting and I'm absolutely going to play it in decks. Like there's a few decks that I want this card for, mm-hmm. um, but it's not something that I've really been seeing people talk about a lot. So that's that's uh, you know neither here nor there. I, I don't know. I was looking at like the planeswalkers. None of the planeswalkers really hit me. Like running realm breaker is not super, you know enticing um the new chandra is pretty good yeah what's her rarity she's a mythic yeah i'm not i'm not super high on uh, oh i am high on the new chandra but not like as something that people are gonna play so i think at this point like (laughs) i think we should probably (laughs) pick something at this point you know and Okay, yeah, we, the, the episode's running long. We got to we're <laughs> we're at the one hour mark. Um, I will say this this might be a sign. This could be a sign against her. I will say the new Chandra is she's only two fifty. Yeah, I think that's. Um, uh, but that could be a sign that like just nobody wants her, and that could yeah. certainly be a problem. Or I will not make the gamble that Invasion of Segovia like 
everyone adopts it. it. I think that that might be another card where we're high on it, but it takes other people a little time to catch on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that's what it feels like. And that is, I do want to say to listeners that that's not like me trying to toot our own horn. Like we think about these cards immediately uh, for a lot and a long time so that you don't have to. So when I'm saying that like we're really high on something and other people aren't, that's not saying like, I think that my opinion is better. It is more saying that like me and Nick have been forced to think about this yes. <laughs> much more than other by, people. By going through this prediction episode, uh, like exercise a million times. Yeah. Um, and, and of course we we're wrong all the time. Sort yeah, of exactly. frontier. There you go. Mm-hmm. Boom. Yeah. Who would have thought I actually literally, that was, I think the most surprising thing for me. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm still, I'm still gonna, I mean, so I think it's your decision because I got, I picked two I'll, of the three. But... I'll, I'll say let's, let's go with, uh, let's go with Shieldred. Um, okay. Yeah. I was going to say Shieldred and, yeah. and, or like, um, <laughs> I was looking at Seed of Hope and like no one is playing. <laughs> I'm like, this has been yeah. more fun than I thought it would be in limited. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll have a home in it. Just no, not, not it has like a hundred. <laughs> I, I was looking at the, the like banishing light with Ward, but, Nobody is playing like nobody played borrowed time, yeah, um, which you know is is certainly not better than banishing light, but I think it just points out that people aren't going wild for variants of banishing light, yeah, yeah, which makes sense. It's like less like techie than uh than a lot of things that do that, so um, I mean, yeah, if you're good with shoulder then. Let's, let's go with this, Shieldred. Let's round this out then. Okay. Locked in. We've got our top 10. Just one last time. I mean, this, this is just Wooberg order. No ranking here, really. Uh, we've got Phyrexian Sensor, Fairy Mastermind, Corrupted Conviction, Hoarding Broodlord, Shieldred, City on Fire, Invasion of Ikoria, Kami of Whispered Hopes, Ozolith, The Shattered Spire, and Tribute to the World Tree. We are not confident about these at all. <laughs> I think it's going to be a bloodbath when we have to check on these in a couple months. But, you know, wish us luck. We hope that this exercise was at least interesting for all of you. Um, and any last thoughts? This is the last episode on March of the Machine. Um, what, what do you, is there anything you want to add to the discussion before we move on to other topics next week, Zach? No, I think the discussion is like, I feel like in another era, you know, like, a, like imagine a world in which March of the Machine was released 10 years ago. I think a lot of the gimmicks would have been much more fun, you know, like seeing uh, a pest have its own like green card, um, seeing a bunch of like a samurai in the same set as like a bear rhino from Ikoria in the same set as like saprolings from Dominary, you know, like a lot of these fun quirky things about the set would have been more appreciated but i i honestly think like the fatigue people are feeling just in general made a lot of what was supposed to make this set fun and cool uh just people didn't pick up on it so well it might be that it's like so overstuffed it's a little difficult to focus on any one thing um yeah, I could totally see that too. <laughs> like 
It, when we say right. overstep, like one of the reasons that it's hard for us to pick is because like they split this set in like a million different directions. There's like mm-hmm. mill themes, there's sacrifice themes, there's plus one plus one counter themes, there's the convoke, there's these transform cards that are all not very good. There's these like instants and sorceries, the you know, like there's a million things going on in the set and it's hard to pick any one out and find a good card for it. I th- I feel like the limited is is fun. So they uh, once again showed that they are pretty good at designing limited formats, but uh yeah, it's just not really sure what to what to what people are going to gravitate towards here. Yeah, know? that that's what's making it tough for me is like there's certainly not enough just generically powerful cards to fill out a top 10 and so it's and there's so many different themes that it's like well i gotta just guess at what's gonna resonate with people (laughs) yeah and there's even like technically free kill spells you know there's cut short and white which kills like tapped things and then there's the black one that has yeah that that i can't remember the name of right now because there's too many cards in the set um yeah no that it's certainly a cool card but uh I think most people just aren't trying to do that. And the fact that it's black. Um, mm-hmm. You already have so many options. Yeah. And, and also like, um, you know, it's not going into the convoke decks. So, Oh yeah, that's true. It's yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's, this is where we ended up. I, I'm not super confident. I'm glad, honestly, I'm glad we got a Praetor in there. I'm, I feel like talking about how powerful they are and then like, not (laughs) not putting one into the predictions is pretty funny but i think we got there i think shoulder is probably a good good pick so that's the only one that i'm feeling after all things no i think the (laughs) ozolus the the kami those ones are the ones i'm highest on i think those are just slam dunks Mm -hmm. but yeah the set um wild that's uh weird that they did this <laughs> weird that they created battles um event sets in particular like i think they just got to get their their this is the second one ever and uh i wonder what it means for the future like i wonder what data says about market data says about this one you know i let, let me just ask you a question um do you think that the the net increase in fun from a player playing a battle is higher than the net increase in fun from a player playing a planeswalker and this is across both players in a game let's say let's say a just a two-player game for now oh yeah i would say i guess you see battles a lot more often i actually think planeswalkers are probably more as much as i hate planeswalkers like they just do more. There's a lot of battles that like my opponent will play and I just don't even think about at that point, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay, like whatever. <laughs> like like not super worried about um invasion of old growth or something like that, you know, what the you okay, you cast your invasion of Mercadia, are you gonna try and flip it? No? Alright, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like not too much, but when someone drops like uh, a Ren and Realm Breaker or something, it's like, oh, okay, like now I have a puzzle of like, how do I kill this? And it, they, I'm assuming they're having fun. Well, that well that's, fun. 
Well, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like, I think that when an opponent plays a battle, so far, it doesn't feel like I'm being buried. Yeah. Like, like if, if an opponent plays a battle and I just, like, don't have, you know, creatures on the board at the time, like, yeah, you know, they'll probably attack it for a little bit this turn and maybe flip it next turn if I don't get my my stuff together. In limited, the, the back halves haven't been terribly devastating. And there, there's multiple ways to interact with it. And, and like, it's not going to be necessarily like an ongoing source of value for them. Like, yeah, it'll, I'll, I'll take a hit if they flip that thing. Um, but a lot of them are just like creatures, you know? Yeah. Um, whereas like with a planeswalker, if an opponent drops a planeswalker when I don't have anything out, it just feels like, Ooh, I am probably going to lose this game. Um, (laughs) Like, it doesn't require any additional effort on mm. their part, really. Um, like, they just get to, you know, probably draw the equivalent of one card per turn going forward. And um, while Planeswalkers aren't that good in Commander, like, in 1v1 formats, uh, it does feel like you're really under the gun in a way that, like, you know, having a bat like being given a, a battle to protect does not yeah um so I, i'm just wondering if like they are like using battles to sort of introduce some of the same sort of give and take style gameplay of planeswalkers but just not this not have it be associated with this uh like slow grindy card advantage like I'm gonna lose, but it's gonna take a while because like they're gonna just draw more cards and get more blockers, and that's gonna allow them to draw more cards and so on and so forth. I, mm-hmm. I think that like, yeah, battles are almost a mulligan on planeswalkers, or and also a way to like introduce them into lower rarities. Whereas planeswalkers, you know, they're supposed to be the face of the game, but like, at what percentage of games do you even see them? I have been enjoying battles, so I and I, in general, don't like planeswalkers. So, <laughs> so I'm right there with you. And a lot of these battles have been fun. I've been having fun with with a lot of them, and I probably will because they're going to keep making them. Hopefully, I'm assuming so. Um, yeah, battles wild. Uh, I guess we will have a bit more. This is the end of March of the Machine, but not the end of March of the Machine. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yes. And I think with that, we are going to wrap this episode up. I'm going to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Gustav, Ryan, Addison, Rick, Raphael, Kyle, Laser, Charlotte, Hannah, Andy, James, Bryce, Benjamin, Brandon, Kaidel, Jeremy, Russell, Dylan, John, John, Micah, Troy, Roxanne, Daniel, Andrew, Jason, Paul, Johan, Jonathan, Christian, Jim, Andrea, Vasilios, Logan, Frug, Riddle, Carl, Oscar, Danny B, Jean Francois, Drew, Recta, Nick, BJ, Cameron, Valerio, Quincy, Harry, Stephen, The Longs, Vincent, Maceo, Dylan, and Cameron. Thank you all for supporting the show. If you're not currently a Patreon patron, but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. You can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at commander theory. And on Twitter, I am at fat Bartleby. You can also email us at commander theory at gmail.com. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Nick Cage. You can check him out on SoundCloud. 
And if you're interested in some other creative projects I'm working on, I have a band you can check out. We are a pink punk, pop punk band called The Have Nots, all one word like Cosmonauts. Uh, you can listen to all of our music for free right now. You can just head over to thehavenots.bandcamp.com. That is T-H-E-H-A-V-N-A-U-T-S.bandcamp.com. And check us out. Let me know what you think. Thank you.